Anybody love the Lord this morning? Oh, clap your hands to the Lord one more time and give Him praise. I want to take you to the book of John, chapter 21, to a familiar portion of Scripture. One I have felt drawn to all week long. I've tried to fellowship this word in my heart all week, trying to pull out of it what the Lord was trying to say to me, share that with you. John chapter 21, verse number 14 is where I will begin reading. And the scripture reads, And this is now the third time that Jesus shewed himself to his disciples after that he had risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. One of the most tender and revealing portions of scripture that you will find recorded in scripture this encounter between Jesus and no doubt a very miserable man named Simon Peter I think most of you are aware of his life story I don't have to go into great detail but I want to talk to you for a little while about the saving power of God's amazing grace And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. I think perhaps one of the greatest struggles that goes on in the heart of a man or a woman is between what we are and what we know we should be. I want to say that again. I think... One of the biggest struggles in the life of most people is the gap between what we are and what deep inside we know that we are capable of being and doing. I think that, uh, that war that goes on in the mind is one that sidelines a lot of good people in life. The story that we have read from is quite familiar. As you are well aware, Peter had really made a mess of things in his own life. 
on the very night when his master needed him the most, the Bible says that he denied him and he cursed his proud boastings that had been so um, so uh, proudly spoken at one moment had crumbled before him in this moment of his own betrayal of his master. And his pride was turned into shame as he recognized what all had happened. There is no record of what transpired in those long hours after that last look of the Lord. I don't know, but I've had that look a time or two in my life, and I will tell you that it lingers long in the mind. So perhaps for Simon Peter, that long, lingering interval between the denial and this encounter was a very miserable time for him. The only glimpse that we are given of him in those moments after that last look was that he went out and he wept bitterly. The word that is used in the Greek to describe bitterly is a very intense word of complete and total brokenness. There was the mixture of regret and wonder and worry and fear. And there is no doubt that Peter's failure and his disappointment in himself and with himself played out in the theater of his mind hourly in living color, wishing that he could go back. I wonder if Simon ever said to himself, if I could just go back, if I could just have that moment over again, I, I would do differently. And I think most of us are aware that some point in all of our lives we have asked that question, if I could just go back. How many things we would do differently, how we would have ordered our day in a different fashion. But the reality is we are what we are because of the decision that we made. And we are where we are because of those choices. So what do you do when you have blown it? What do you do when you have made such a colossal mess of your life and you have done it so publicly, you have done it so openly, when it's shared on Facebook? What do you do? How do you outlive Facebook anyway? You knew I was going to get on that sooner or later. If there had been Facebook back then, I am quite certain that it would have been the buzz of the network. And so Simon Peter did what a lot of people do after failure. They busied themselves with other things. He went back to what he knew. He went back to the trade of fishing. He went back to a comfortable spot. He went back where he wasn't threatened by his own limitations. He knew how to fish. He might not know how to be a disciple, but he knew how to fish. And so he goes back and he gets in the boat and he goes out and he has a longer night than he anticipated. Because on that night, like another night in his life, he caught nothing. 
in a lake that teemed with fish and was easy to go out and find your limit. And after that night, coming to the dawn of the day, they hear a voice from the shore. Sounds familiar, they can't quite make it out, but the voice cries out, Have you any meat? And they have to answer in response to that, No, we have nothing. A simple command, put your nets on the other side of the boat. And then their nets were filled. And it was at that moment that Simon, Peter, and John recognized who it was that was speaking. And Simon, as he was before, impetuous and quickly jumps out of the boat. He doesn't even wait for it to get to shore. He comes in. There's a communication there between the Lord. The Lord's got a fire burning. He's got an invitation for them to come and dine. What an opportunity. What a privilege. And before the Lord ever started dealing with him, he fed him. That's amazing. You know what? I think that's what the Lord did to us a little while ago. Before he ever got ready to give us his word, he took time to feed us on his spirit. And after that was over with, the Lord turned his attention back to this man who had made such a mess of his life. And he begins an engagement with him that if you look at it on the surface, perhaps seems a little painful. And I am certain that it was because the scripture says that he was grieved at the question that was asked. Not questions, but the question that was asked, it grieved him. When Jesus began to speak with Peter, he didn't say a lot of things that he could have said. I think amazing to me is what he did not say in that moment that many of us probably would have said. He didn't say to Simon, what a friend you turned out to be. When I needed you the most, you let me down. Peter, you're a failure. You simply do not understand what I have asked of you. He didn't do any of that. What amazing grace that God would not put more on us than we can bear. And at that moment, I don't think Simon Peter could have taken another ounce of condemnation because he had built it up as high as he could. He simply asked him a question. Lovest thou me? The encounter has been viewed in many ways. And if you look at the scholars who have written about it, you will find most of them seem to be in agreement that because there were three failures, there were three questions to give him the opportunity to redeem himself. But when I read that, it seems so uncharacteristic of the Jesus that I know. If I look at it in those terms, I seem to think of him as one who's trying to rub in salt to a wounded person. It's like the Lord was trying to make worse what was already hurting, what was already aching, what was already painful. What were the reasons for that exchange and to what purpose was he asking that? Was it... The Lord's coup de grace at the end that he could 
stab him in the heart one more time and then send him off to pasture while he looked for somebody else that was more committed than Simon Peter? Was that what was going on in that exchange? I, I doubt very seriously. There was nothing to do with that. For me, I believe it was the ministry of mercy at work. It was a ministry of God's amazing grace. I believe that Jesus was trying to revive something that had died. I believe he was trying to resurrect something that had been put away in a tomb. It was for Peter's sake that he spoke. Not to make him more miserable, but to awaken something in him. And there in those tender moments, the Lord, by his amazing grace, began to work on this broken man. God's amazing grace in that moment brought him to a point of restoration and put him back on the path that he needed to be on, that he had been called to. And it is amazing to me that when Jesus began this conversation, he begins it by calling him by his old name the name that he was addressed by when he first came to Jesus, Simon, Simon. He goes back to that old name that was called out to him when he was first introduced. Jesus was not simply reminding him of that name. He was reminding him of his beginning. He was taking him back to that moment in his life when the Lord said to him, You are Simon, but you shall be called Cephas. You are weak, but you shall be called strong. And in that moment of time, the amazing grace of God brought him back to that place where he first recognized his potential in life and his potential with God. And he addresses him there in that moment of tenderness by that name by which he first came, reminding Simon Peter that I know where you were when I found you, and I know what you were when I found you, but I also want to remind you what I told you in the beginning. You see, I believe one of the things that God has got to do when a person fails is reconnect us to our potential and reconnect us to what we have been brought here for, what we are capable of becoming because failure has a way of stripping all of that away from us. It takes away the arrogance and the cockiness when we have failed and made a mess of our life There's something about our spirit that is wounded. And in that moment of tenderness, the amazing grace of God, that saving grace, reached out to a broken man and reconnected him to his potential. It was in that moment of time that I believe that Jesus whispered to Simon Peter, your failure has not voided your potential. I need to tell somebody here this morning that your failure has not voided the potential that God saw in you when he called you. I don't care how far you have fallen. 
I don't care how many messes you've made or how many mistakes you've made. Your failure does not void the potential that you see and you have in your life. Perhaps he was reminding Simon of something that he needed to be aware of. And that was by calling him by that original name. He was reminding Simon that when you failed, Simon, you were acting in that old nature. It was that old man that rose up. And if you're going to fulfill your potential, you're going to have to get away from that old man. You're going to have to get away from that old person. You can't keep fellowshipping that old spirit. You can't keep nurturing that old nature. If you want to go where I want to take you, you're going to have to get away from that old man that you were. You know, it's amazing how many people are saved and yet they still try to fellowship with that old man that they were. They keep a remnant of it around somewhere in the closet just in case. And usually when we fail, we fail because we're acting out of that old nature. Because if we really let the love of God work out of us, the outcome would have been totally different than it was. If we let the grace of God do its work in our life, then we would have the courage to stand. But somewhere, Simon had held on to something of that old man in his life. And when that moment of pressure came, out came that old man, and down Peter came from that lofty height. And the Lord had to take him back to that point and say, Simon, I just want to let you know one more time. I'm not, I'm not belittling you. I'm just here to tell you, you can't act like that and get this. You can't talk like that and get this. You can't be that kind of person and become what I have said you could become. You've got to get away from that old man as far away from him as you can. And I want to tell somebody here this morning that the reason that some of you keep failing is because you keep that old nature too close at hand. You need to lay it on an altar this morning and you need to crucify it and say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I am not living by my own human impulse. I'm not living by my own knowledge wisdom. I am living directed by the authority of God's Word in my life. Amen. Somebody say get away from that old man. I'm not talking about anybody in this building, but I'm talking about your old man. That old woman that you used to be. Maybe I shouldn't use old. Now you understand I'm not talking about age. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. I'm just saying what you used to be. Simon, you can't go back. You can't hang on to that and be what I've called you to be. That rock, that powerful anointed preacher that you're going to become. You've got to get away from that. 
And I'm here to tell somebody this morning that has a great deal of potential in your life that has been spoiled because you have let your old nature come back and rob you over and over and over again. I am calling you this morning to what Jesus called Simon Peter to. It's time for you to lay that old man down and get as far away from him as you can and stay away from him if you want to become what I have called you to become a fresh encounter with the living Christ can do that for you it can help you get away from that old man amen some of you smiling like you don't have an old man but I know better if it had not been for the grace of God in our life where would we be today and what kind of person would we be if you think I mean now you ought to see me without the Holy Ghost Oh, yes. If you think I can be ugly now, you just think about a world that has no restraints whatsoever. That's why I believe the Lord's going to take the church out before the man of sin is revealed. Because you don't want to be around when there is no restraint to evil. As bad as it may seem right now, it's not as bad as it could be if the Spirit of God were taken out. And so the saving power of God's amazing grace reaches out to a fallen, broken man and brings him back and connects him to his potential and said, okay, Peter, this is where we've got to go. You cannot stay living in that old house and have a new man come out of it. You're going to have to burn that old house down and let me build you a new temple. Meeting him will not cause us to sense our shortcomings, but it ought to inspire us to reach to the potential that God has seen in all of us when He saved us. God doesn't waste His grace. Did you hear me? God doesn't waste His grace. God doesn't bet on losers, if you could let me use that crude terminology. When God invested His Spirit in your life or God comes to deal with you, He deals with you because there is potential there. There is something that can be that's better than what is. And so He begins to nurture us and draw us. And if we will let Him do what He was doing earlier, bring us to that higher place, we will find ourselves being transformed by that relationship that we find in Him. Somebody say, get away from that old man. The second thing that amazing grace did for Simon in that moment was to bring him back in focus with his purpose. The question, the bottom line that Jesus was getting at was still the bottom line that he wants to get at this morning. Simon, do you love me? Not do you love others or do you love commitments or do you love people, but do you love me? He addresses Simon Peter's feelings and he takes him back to that place where his purpose can be reconnected to his life. 
your reason for being here is to love me and to worship me. And I don't know whether you love other people or not or whether you love the lost or not, but do you love me? Because you'll never really love other people the way you could or should until you first learn how to love me. And if you love me, you'll learn how to love the lost. This is my primary purpose. That is the reason that I'm here is to love him. And so grace reconnects him to his divine purpose to love him to give your life and your affections doing this affects all the other issues of your life everything else that matters is connected to that love factor I wish I had time to preach about that this morning oh love of God how rich and pure how measureless and strong I I, I remember reading about it and so I pulled it up this morning which I don't usually do during service But I was so drawn to the song, The Love of God. And so I pulled it back up and I was reminded. It was written in 1917 by Frederick Lehman in Pasadena, California. And he was in a store that they ran. And in a lull, an interval between times when customers were coming in and out, it is said that he picked up a scrap of paper and seated himself on an open lemon carton And he began to write with a stub of a pencil the first two stanzas of this song called The Love of God. But he added to it something that had been in the makings for years back in the year 1050. There was a a person that wrote a poem and it it was put into the Jewish worship. It was called Hadamant. And in that poem, there was a phrase that was written that began to be echoed around the world. And it was translated into at least 18 different languages. And so when evidently that was on his mind when he began to write this. And so this is what he wrote. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' songs. And when years of time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fail, then men who here refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to God, to Adam's race, the saint an angel song. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angel song. But the third stanza he borrowed from the poem of the Jewish poet. It was found written in an insane asylum after they had taken that person away to the grave. They found scrawled on the walls in a moment of sanity. This is what the person wrote. 
Could we with eat the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. It was the one thing that they could go back to in that place of insanity. And in a clear mind, what reminded them, I do not know. But something brought them back to the only thing that really matters in life. And that is the love of God. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. He said, Simon Peter, the thing that's going to get you through all of the ups and downs in life is that you're in love with me, not in love with things, not in love with people, not in love with places, not in love with jobs, not in love with pleasure, but the thing that's going to get you through everything in your life is going to be the love of God. Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? What a simple yet profound thing to ask of a man in such a critical moment. But it was essential for grace to reconnect him to his purpose. Love me. Whatever else you do, love me. Love me. And then grace worked again. And in that moment of tenderness, it brought him back to a place where he could realign his priorities. The question was, do you love me? But he went on to say, do you love me more than these? Who are these? Was he talking about his friends? Was he talking about his buddies that were around him, his family, his fishing, his boat, his net? Was he talking about the comforts of the surroundings in which he had gone? Was he talking about his possessions It doesn't matter what he was talking about. What he wanted to know was what is the priority. I have got to be the priority of your life. And you've got to put me back in that place. And if you will put me back in that first place, I will make sure that everything else works in your life. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure. A fresh encounter with the Lord enabled him to realign his priorities. And then... The thing to me that sets the whole story off is the very question itself. Jesus asked him three times, Lovest thou me? The word that is used in the Greek, and you've heard this, the word that Jesus used was different than the word that Simon Peter used. In the Greek, there were three words for love. Agape, which was the highest form of love. Phileo, which was affection, and then eros, which was the carnal, physical aspect of love. When Jesus spoke to Simon, he used that highest word, calling Simon to a higher place. Simon, do you love me? Do you agape me? That is sacrificial, unconditional love. Simon's response to him was, Lord, I love you. But he didn't use that word. He used phileo. I I have affection for you. Two times he asked him that same question in the same way. Do you agape me? 
And Simon said, I phileo you. I, I love you, but not in the way that you're asking me to love you. And then the third time, this is the most amazing thing about grace. Instead of making Peter come up to his level, the Lord came down to his And so that third time, Jesus used the same word that Simon Peter used. Do you phileo me? You see, when God can't get us up to where He wants us to be, grace is willing to come down to where we are so He can get us up to where we need to be. And there's times after failure that we just don't have the strength. We, don't, we, we know because of our failure there's so much condemnation that we can't really say, I'm committed. There's some of you sitting here this morning that are afraid to use the word commitment because you have violated that word so many times in your life. You've told God you're going to do things and then you walked out the door and before the week was over you forgot everything that you told Him you were going to do. And instead of the Lord standing back, waiting for you to come to Him, He condescends. He's not afraid to come down to your level to help get you up to His. And the amazing part of grace is that He stoops down and He gets down on Simon's level. And He said, okay, let's talk now. It isn't going to be hard as you think it is, Simon. I just want you to know that grace can make it possible. His response, no doubt, was tempered by his own limitations and failures. But the Lord didn't let that stop him. He came down. You see, the amazing thing about grace is that it's willing to start where you are, wherever that is. I've had people tell me, well, I can't come to church right now because I'm not ready. You don't have to be ready. God will start where you are. It's like, well, I've got to get these things in order. I've got to do this. I I would make a commitment. I would really sell out and live for God, but I've just got these issues. You know what? God's not afraid of your issues. He's not afraid of what you're dealing with. He's not afraid of all the garbage and junk you're going to bring to Him and cares you're going to cast on Him. But there are people that are sitting on these pews here this morning that have let your own failures limit you You have let them limit you because you feel like you've got to get up there before you're qualified to do anything. And the Lord proved to Simon Peter, if you can't get up where I am, I'm not afraid to come down where you are. And he couldn't get there. He wasn't at the top of his game at that moment. But God said, I'm not afraid. You can't make it. You can't make that leap. Then we'll start where you are. What amazing grace. To me, I think that was the thing that saved Simon Peter from total ruin is the fact that the Lord was not afraid to associate with his mistake and he came down to his level. It was that encounter that produced a restoration and a new beginning. Perhaps that very thing could happen this morning. There are people sitting on these pews. You've been sitting here for weeks and you're filled with regrets. You're filled with all kind of knowledge of what you've done that was wrong. And every little mistake, your mind has magnified. And the Lord's trying to get you to the place where He can reconnect you to your potential. It wasn't blown because you failed Him. What you're capable of becoming wasn't voided because you made a mistake. 
It's not voided because you did the wrong thing. That potential is still there. And the purpose for your life is still there. And the priorities that you need in your life have got to be realigned. But in order to do that, He is willing to come down to your level to get you to His. Let's stand together. New beginnings are not something that automatically happen. I believe they're a work of the Spirit. I believe that this service this morning was designed by God to get you in a place where He could talk to you and say, come on, it's not over yet. Amen. It's not over yet. Life's not washed up. You know, it's amazing to me the attitudes that some people take on after they fail. It's just like they throw in the towel and they just kind of get this cynical look at life. I'm certain that Simon wrestled with some of those things. But the Lord, great mercy and grace and His love, His amazing grace. Amen. It came walking to that seashore. It came where Simon Peter was. He didn't wait for him to get to where he was. He came where Simon was. Man, some of you feel uncomfortable right now because you feel the Lord. It's not me. What you feel is the Lord getting near. Don't be uncomfortable. He's not going to hurt you. He's there to help you. Amen. Reach over and take somebody by the hand right now. Holy Ghost, we need a move of your spirit right now. We need you, Lord, to take that broken, wounded, hurt soul that one that's been sidelined by their own mistakes and failures. They've allowed them to handicap their life. They've allowed them to limit their potential. They've allowed them to wreak havoc on their peace of mind. God, would you move right now in their direction?